Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Blacklist, where I discuss the lives and legacies of Black Hollywood. I know it hasn't been too long since the last episode of our first season, which is available in its entirety on SoundCloud and iTunes, but I felt inspired to come back with a smaller mini-season while I'm in the middle of preparing for the next full season, which will be back later this year. But while I was preparing for that season, and while I was writing the last one, one of the things I always enjoyed the most, aside from discovering more and more about the lives of Black women I admire, was the films. I love talking about films. And more than that, I love talking about Black films. I love talking about Black films that many people probably haven't seen, but definitely should see. So for this mini-season, which we're almost through with, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about six black films that I have selected at complete random that I enjoy, hate, secretly enjoy, and love. This week we discuss 1961's Paris Blues, one of my personal favorites. And actually a little different than all the other films that we're discussing this summer because it isn't an all-black film, but I love it and I made the rule so I can break them. So, Paris Blues, distributed by United Artists in 1961. And you'll remember back to one of our first episodes, United Artists was an independent film company founded and run by actors Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, and W.D. Griffith. It was described as, quote, the inmates taking over the asylum, unquote, by one studio executive. And the film is based on a 1957 novel of the same name by Harold Flender. It has been described as a love spectacular so personally exciting you'll feel it's happening to you. And I must say, I agree. This film cast is stacked. Stars on stars on stars. It stars Paul Newman, Sidney Poitier, Joanne Woodward, Diane Carroll, and features a special appearance by Louis Armstrong. And the music was written by Duke Ellington. And it's one of the reasons I fell in love with Paris. And I'll try to be as uncynical as possible in my discussion of the romance and of the film. So here we go. Now, this film opening is very different. It's very 60s Paris, what with the seamlessness of integration and co-mingling of the races. Already, the film makes a case for famous American expats in Paris. The pixie cuts and tight, bust-enhancing shirts are popular in this film, thanks to the French wave of the 60s. Women are wearing pants. Everyone is dancing with abandon, drinking, smoking, laughing, and just enjoying the hell out of themselves. And on the stage... Providing the entertainment are Sidney Poitier's character, Eddie, and Paul Newman's character, Ram, playing together in a band in a local jazz nightclub, Club 33. The next day, after the whole nightclub scene is over, we get a beautiful shot of Paris at daybreak. An overview of Paris in all its rustic, old, and new, rich, and poor glory. It's so beautiful, even though it's in black and white. Then we go back to the nightclub during the day, where Ram is playing something soulful, and Eddie is listening pensively. Eddie's reserved but powerful demeanor does all the talking for him. They're discussing new musical arrangements and are disagreeing about whether or not a melody Ram's playing should be played on an oboe, which results in Eddie leaving with a flare. Eddie leaves, and Ram, having nothing else to do, goes to the kitchen to seduce Marie, a singer at the nightclub who he upset earlier. He soothes her with his suave voice and gentle touch and tries to caress her, 
searching for comfort, making polite conversation about wanting to make some chicken for dinner, blah, blah, blah. She calls bullshit in response to this by saying, why do you need me today? Because you feel you are wonderful or because you feel you are worth nothing. Go off, sis. They speak subtextually about sex and she holds off for as long as she can. And girl, I don't blame her. Then they kiss very softly. And just when things are heating up, it cuts to a steam engine signifying that they had sex. Then a crowd of screaming women chasing the train that Satchmo, whose character is named Wild Man Moore, is on. It's very Beatles-esque. Ram is near the train, and a few women actually ask him for an autograph, but it's Wild Man Moore that everyone came to see. So Wild Man Moore pulls out his horn and plays a little for the crowd like everyone wants, and they go wild. And this is when we see Diane Carroll, who plays Connie for the first time. Beautiful pinup and long leather gloves, flawless skin, and Ram hits on her, because wouldn't you? He helps her with her bags because she was having trouble speaking French to the porter. Connie tells him that she's waiting on her girlfriend, and Ram says, Is your friend as pretty as you are? To which Connie responds, Yes, followed by, She's a white girl. And Ram says, She might be hard to find because all these white girls look alike. The tea is scalding. When another musician walks by, they discover that Ram's kind of well-known. Connie repeatedly rejects Ram's advances, so he acquiesces, but not before inviting Connie to hear him play whenever she likes. Her white friend doesn't look too pleased that Ram hit on her black friend and not her, but whatever. Ram goes to see Wildman Moore to get his opinion on the music he has written. Wildman Moore says he'll see what he can do for Ram. So we discover Ram's musical ambitions extend beyond the nightclub scene, and Wildman Moore tells him that it ain't no fun to write music. But Ram insists. Elsewhere in Paris, Connie is dissuading Lillian, her white friend, played by Joanne Woodward, from going to the nightclub so as not to seem too eager about Ram. But can you blame her? Have you seen Paul Newman? Even in black and white, he's fine as hell. Side note, Joanne Woodward was actually real life married to Paul Newman for 50 years. Can you imagine liking someone enough to spend 50 years with them? What a lucky woman. But back to the film. Now we're back in the nightclub setting, only it's daytime. A rehearsal of sorts. The musicians play. Eddie pours himself a drink. Gypsy, the drug-addicted and alcoholic guitarist, stumbles in, and it is revealed that Wild Man Moore is giving the music that Ram and Eddie wrote to a very well-respected and renowned musician, Rene Bernard. Then, later on that evening... Who shows up at the nightclub for the performance? Why, Connie and Lillian, of course, because wouldn't you? They're greeted by Eddie, who's outside having a smoke, leaning against the wall, staring at them from afar until he overhears the conversation about Ram and takes them inside the club. What a gentleman. Ram and the band play Mood Indigo, a very sensual song, to a packed house. But the audience seems a little less than interested, and I can't tell if it's the usual Parisian disinterested look or if they are genuinely bored by this number, which I find incredibly beautiful. To lighten the mood, Ram shows off a little bit, and it seems as if he's playing individually for every woman in the room, though he is playing with his eyes closed. And given his looks, I wouldn't be surprised if he had. Well, Lillian is smitten, clearly. 
Her eyes say that she is ready to renounce her American citizenship and be his bitch. After the club closes, Eddie makes his move, inviting Lillian and Connie to breakfast when there is a slight misunderstanding that's funny as fuck. And side note, if you've ever read this novel, you know that it actually deals with an interracial romance, but United Artists felt that the American audiences weren't ready for that kind of thing. Years later, Sidney Poitier said, Cold Feet maneuvered to have it twisted around, lining up the colored guy with the colored girl because United Artists, quote, chickened out, unquote. It took the spark out of it. I don't agree, but I also don't disagree, and I can't say that I don't long for a version of this film where Diane Carroll and Paul Newman get into a steamy romance. We all have dreams. But what actually happens is that Eddie cozies up to Connie, leaving Lillian to play third wheel. But when Ram notices the group taking off, he rushes to Connie, trying once again to woo her, but Connie isn't the least bit interested in Ram, which is ridiculous to me, but to each her own. And Eddie looks incredibly lost because he thought that Ram was interested in Lillian and that Eddie could get with Connie. After a slightly uncomfortable battle for Connie, Eddie leaves with her, but Lillian wants to stay. Even after Eddie tells her that she's going to get nowhere, she's a woman with a plan. After being passed over for her friend, Lillian still tries it with Ram, who looks as if he's participating in some late-night introspective silent shit, but really, he's just heard about being passed over for his objectively less attractive friend. And then the asshole in him just jumps out. When he notices that Lillian is lingering around, hopefully, he says, what do you want? Was it your birthday or something? Did someone forget it? I would have pushed his finance into oncoming traffic. But instead, Lillian still tries to get with him. But Ram walks away, feeling defeated. And just as she gives up, and just like a fucking man, he stops her in the middle of an empty street, and they embrace. It's so fuckboyish, but damn if it isn't beautiful to look at. It's the kind of thing you'd expect from a film in Paris, the city of love. Then we get all these beautiful shots of people coupled up, and the underscoring is so romantic, but this is also where the story heats up for me. Because after all that back and forth between those two who clearly shouldn't be together... We go back to Connie and Eddie, flirting with the softest voices you've ever heard. Not only are they beautiful to look at, but their chemistry, even this early in the film, is off the charts. It's incredibly relaxing and thrilling to watch Connie keep herself always just out of reach as Eddie tries to flirt. He calls her beautiful and tells her that Paris is the place to be. He loves this city. But then Connie asks if he ever misses home, America. He says he doesn't miss home because sit down for lunch without getting clubbed for it and you'll wake up one day, look across the ocean, and say who needs it. And she says she can never stay in Paris because home is where the heart is. They walk off into the night path Notre Dame laughing arm in arm, so cozy, so right for one another. The next scene is of them having dinner in a crowded restaurant, but no one else really exists except the two lovebirds. Then they walk around Paris until it's daytime, so engrossed with one another, so in sync. It's beautiful to watch, but it's also very innocent. 
Lillian and Ram, on the other hand, skipped all the other shit and got straight to business. When we get back to this couple, we see Lillian in a silk robe, looking out of Ram's bedroom window, then walking over to his bed seductively and laying her head on his chest. They get to know one another as well, but it's much less pleasant because Ram is far less charming than Eddie is, but people as attractive as he is usually are. The more these two get to know about one another, the less... I think they actually like each other, and eventually, he just ends the conversation and tries to put Lillian out, jumping out of bed, putting on music, and saying to her, you're not dressed yet? But then he asks her to stay because she has no one to show her to her hotel. How polite of him. Then we fade to Lillian and Ram walking around Paris. At the same time, Connie and Eddie are walking. Eddie and Connie are having a disagreement about Eddie returning to America. Eddie doesn't want to argue about social issues and tells Connie that in Paris, no one says Eddie Cook, Negro, musician. They say Eddie Cook, musician. And that's all I want, which is completely fair. And besides, who would want to leave Paris for America, especially if you're a jazz musician? But Connie isn't convinced. But my question is, why is she so stuck on this? She literally just met this man. I mean, I personally don't believe in love at first sight, but I guess some people do. Anyway, Connie argues that things in America are better than they were five years ago. You're right. But Eddie still isn't convinced. So she pulls a power move and tries to leave, citing that she has shopping to do. But he doesn't go for this, of course. He stops her, rubbing her shoulders, and she eventually gives in to him. Then we go to another night at the nightclub where Marie is singing seductively, walking around the club, everyone's eyes following her hips as they sway. Lillian and Connie are watching from the audience, while backstage, Gypsy is snorting coke and fading in and out of consciousness. Talk about zero to 100 real quick. Ram watches disgustedly, worried about him. So what does Ram do? Well, the next day, Ram and Gypsy go to look at some fucking birds in a market, and Gypsy discusses the feeling of freedom that birds must feel being able to fly and whatnot, And even though Ram's intentions are good, staging a mini-intervention for his talented friend, his character becomes increasingly uninteresting. They're being very ambitious with the storylines, and I don't get this. I feel that Ram kind of fades into the background for Connie and Eddie to take center stage with a conversation around race. But then they try to redeem him with this forced bit about Gypsy's drug addiction, but why? What does that prove? What? Who does this serve? But back to the film. The two lovely couples continue their Parisian walking tour, looking incredibly stylish. Ram still seems barely interested, and during their conversation, he actually fat shames Lillian for eating so much while she is literally on vacation in Paris, away from her children, with her best friend. Are you kidding me? I would dump his ass and then go consume an entire chocolate fountain. But she doesn't. She simply laughs it off. But Connie and Eddie are so adorable and so beautifully dressed. It seems that in the short time they've known each other that these couples fall in love. Or at least in rhythm. They speak as if they've known each other for years. Lillian and Ram are on opposite sides when it comes to their relationship. She's trying to convince him to come back to America, saying that she'd be his wife. But he never wanted that life. He can't choose anything over music, no matter how much he wants her. And during his fuckboy explanation... 
the most shocking revelation of the entire film is made so casually. It is revealed that Lillian has been fucking this man for nearly two weeks and is leaving Paris soon and hasn't even seen the Eiffel Tower. Are you joking? They just kind of gloss over that very casually. Then we finally get another nightclub scene like at the beginning of the film. This club is jumping. And just when you think it cannot possibly get any more lit, who walks into the club playing his horn at the door? But Satchmo. The crowd parts like the Red Sea to allow him and his band to play down the center. And now the club is really lit. And Satchmo and the club's band play some exciting music together. Louis made this film pick up speed in a way the four leads couldn't. And Eddie can play that sax, honey. Louis forces all of the band members of both bands to play the best they've ever played. His presence demands this kind of excellence, and suddenly, crackhead Gypsy is playing the guitar like we can only presume he did before he started sniffing coke. And Ram gives it his all, and the entire club is clapping along. These guys are feeding off each other's energy, and there's tons of quick shots between Ram and Satchmo and the rest of the band. And at the end, people are practically rushing the stage. The next day, the band is relatively calm, rehearsing new music when a woman reveals that Renee Bernard called Ram in for a meeting, through Wild Man Moore, of course. This feels out of place, but I guess he needs to do something. The next day, Connie and Eddie are walking through a flower market, and Eddie does this really cute little bit and buys Connie flowers from every flower cart he can see until he runs out of money, and she says she can't possibly carry them all. So they sit them down, and Eddie says to leave a note saying the flowers are for genuine lovers only. She leaves them, but she takes one for each of them. They kiss passionately in a gazebo that overlooks the city, and they tell each other that they love each other. Everything is grand. They talk about children and getting married, drunk with love. Connie tries to convince him to come back to the U.S., saying that he can't spend his life running. But he says he's not interested in a cause the way Connie is interested in social justice. He's only interested in Connie. And just like that, the life they were building has fallen apart. She can't accept his indifference, and he can't change for her. Connie walks back to her hotel alone, where she and Lillian try to make the best out of their last two days. But they both end up sad and try to leave Paris early over two men. Two fucking men. Leave early for what? Then we get to the scene with the meeting with Ram and Renee who sums up what could have been done in like the first 20 minutes of the movie. He tells Ram that he needs to focus if he wants to be serious because his work and his history don't match his ambitions, which is Ram's entire arc, the whole movie, but there wasn't enough buildup to this moment for it to matter to me very much. I mean, I get it. We need some explanation for his broodiness and he needs something to give him a personality, but it's not properly explored, just kind of shoved in there. Then we go back to the girls who are preparing to leave when Ram shows up to tell Lillian that he'll go with her to the U.S. after he vehemently declined every time she offered and she just accepts this blindly without once questioning what made him change his mind when he was so sure of himself before. And then we get to Connie and Eddie who run into one another at Ram's goodbye party and she tells him that she is leaving Paris early and he once again explains to her that going back to the U.S. would be so hard because he doesn't push easy anymore. But he's willing to try and she says that she'll be there for them. 
then we get to the final scene of the movie. As much as I love Paris, Ram can't seem to get out of there fast enough as he sits and plays a sad tune on the piano while Eddie stands in the background and eventually he's left alone in the bar. Dreams crushed. Is he excited to go to America or is he just settling? Will he actually show up? The next day at the train station, Lillian waits for Ram while Connie and Eddie say their goodbye for nouns as Eddie has some loose ends to tie up before he can leave Paris. The train signals and Ram shows up with no luggage at the last minute to say goodbye, saying he has to follow through with his music and see where it takes him. And Lillian tells him that he'll never forget her. For 12 days in Paris in the autumn, he fell in love and no one else will ever measure up. What a bad bitch move. Then she walks away, having had the last word. Eddie watches the train pull off, looking as pensively as he did in the beginning. And Ram watches from afar. And the question begs to be asked, do they do this all of the time? Will Eddie actually go to America in two weeks or will they just go on with their lives? The end. I think this film is ambitious. It tries to fit a lot into an hour and a half, which is not uncommon, but rarely does it work as well as the creative team hopes. I love the diverse cast, even in the ensemble, and I love the subtlety of the performances. You have to warm up to these characters and listen and watch very closely, but I don't mind. I love that it leaves you with a will they or won't they question, but I assume they won't because men love to disappoint. And there's something about the final scene that just leads me to rethink the way the relationships unfolded. Everything seems as if they've done it before now, but who's to say? But there is some disconnect between Ram and Eddie and the friendship that is suggested doesn't really work for me. I don't believe it, but I love this movie and I love Paul Newman. I think he's beautiful and I could stare at he and Diane Carroll for hours on end. They shoot them from all the right angles, which is every angle because they are insanely beautiful. I think the relationship between Diane and Sydney, one, she has said that they had secretly off screen for years, which ended because he refused to leave his wife. And it is actually rumored that this is when their secret romance began is what keeps me coming back to this film. They talk so little, but the chemistry between them is so exciting for me. I can understand both sides of the argument of being an expat. And it mimicked a lot of arguments, actual black expats like Hazel Scott, James Baldwin, etc., etc., who all moved to Paris for a certain amount of time. While the other two just don't spark for me. And how is Lillian going to take a random man back to her two children? I love the romantic view of Paris, and I wish we'd seen it in color. Though I like the simplicity of black and white. All in all, I give this one a 7.5 out of 10 roses for genuine lovers. We're winding down in our summer series, but in the final two episodes, I'll get to talk about some of my favorite films of all time. Next week, we'll talk about our first silent film. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Blacklist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and like this podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. I know it seems like such a small thing, but it does go a long way. And if you want to learn more about us, please like us on Facebook at The Black-List and follow us on Twitter at The Blacklist Pod. And also feel free to follow my personal Twitter at Mariah N. Woods. All episodes of The Blacklist are written, narrated, edited, and produced by Mariah Woods, me. Until next time.